Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. Welcome to week two of our Advent series, The Light Has Come. And uh, I love Christmas. I love the traditions of Christmas. I think that's beautiful because it comes right out of the, the mouth of babes, right? This is what they've been fed, and they know it, man. I love the Bethlehem. This donk is fast. <laughs> so the big idea for this story is this, uh, this sermon is this. Jesus was rejected by men so we could be accepted by God. Jesus was rejected by men so we could be accepted by God. So there's some awesome traditions at Christmas, right? How many people have decorated their houses for Christmas? Yes. We just finished the other day, and I would have been sooner, but of course the lights went out on the strand of garland I was trying to put up, so we had to do it quick. You used to go to Walmart to grab it, but we just, next day Amazon, bang, it was there. So loving that. The, uh, but we, we got uh, our stuff, we finally got it up. I have a nice little manger scene in my, in my garden in the front. Um, but it was missing the wise men because I was doing it year over year. And so this year I, I bit the bullet and I bought the wise men. All right, now we got a full set. So gifts are part of our traditions. Christmas trees, uh, Christmas trees are weird. They're very not in the Christmas story, but whatever, they're fun. Lights. How many people have been listening to Christmas music since July? You're weird. We have a rule in our house, got to be after Thanksgiving before Christmas music can be played. Uh, you got to get a thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, so I love all those traditions, ho, 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 and all that stuff. But we have, have to understand that much of what we see at Christmas is just that, tradition. And there's nothing wrong with traditions. They're good most of the time. But we have to understand that much of what we, we do is tradition-based. And they're often they're not grounded in historicity or cultural context. Their accuracy is, is a little bit off. I'm not saying we shouldn't throw all this, go ahead and throw all our decorations out or our Christmas trees. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that when we look at the scriptures first and tradition second, you get a much richer understanding of the story. Now that we've allowed all the kids to leave, I will wreck your Christmas. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to wreck your Christmas. Open up the Luke chapter 2. I think it might be up there. Is it good? Luke chapter 2 up there? Yeah, it is. Good. You can follow along here or you can look in your Bibles. Verse 1 says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone, to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, 
while they were there, think about that, while they were there, just keep that in your mind, the days were completed for her to be delivered. We've been fed this imagery of Joseph and Mary in a mad dash, right, in a mad dash to make it to Bethlehem because she's about to give birth. My, my youngest daughter barely got off the elevator before, we, barely had, we almost had labor and delivery in the elevator. That's how fast she came. So uh, we get this idea. It's very dramatic. It's very Hollywood to have them like racing to get to Bethlehem just in time, and they're frantically knocking on all the, the hotel, you know, the Super 8s and the, you know, Red Roof Inns and all these things trying to find a place to stay, and there's no place for them. And then somebody just goes, and they go down to the barn. I mean, this is, it's very dramatic, and it's very cute, and it's very Hollywood. But in this reading, we understand that that's not how it happened. Joseph was not an idiot. The census didn't happen like in a weekend. Oh, we're going to take a census. Get down there right now. No, the census was, was, so he went to his hometown of Bethlehem, and while she was pregnant, they were there living there for a while, and then while they were there, the time came. It's much less Hollywood, but no less important. The census was an uh, empire-wide decree and would have been something that had been scheduled well in advance. Joseph was of the house and the line of David. So would he, have known, he would have known that he would have to go to Bethlehem. This is not a surprise to him. The text says, while they were there, indicating that they were, had been staying there for some time, she, her, her days were delivered. Now you ask, Pastor, then why were they, if they were there so long, why was there no room for them in the inn? Good question, Bob. That's a good question. I'm going to really ruin your Christmas now. Verse 7 says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And that's the translation in the King James Version. The word inn is, I'm going to try to say this right, kataluma, and it means guest room or extra room or multi-purpose room. Okay, so I'm going to give you, how many people have ever been to Israel? Anybody been here to Israel? Good. One? Okay. Two? Well, for the, for the majority of us, we have not been there, so I'm going to bring a little Israel to you today, okay? All right? First century Israel, time warp. Here we go. Luke 2.7 uh, says, Then she gave birth in her firstborn and was wrapped in tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for her. So, most houses in, in the peasantry at the time of Jesus' birth were split into two areas, as you can see here. You have the front door here, and you have a low area, and then you have an up-top area that surrounded a center column. This is where the family lived, and this is where they did their work and where they brought the animals in at night. So they didn't get stolen, or in cold weather, they didn't freeze. Okay? This is the peasantry. This is how people lived back then. It's very hard for us to understand. When we think of guest room, where is it? Where is the guest room? Now, it was either one of two places, here or here. <laughs> All right, that's, that's where the peasantry lived. It would not be weird for a woman to give birth within five to ten feet of an animal. 
in that time period actually was pretty common. All right? Now, Joseph, on the other hand, being a carpenter, may have come from a tradesman's class, which was still low class, but not part of the peasantry. They may have afforded uh, him a place to stay in a multi-tiered home. So in this picture, you'll see that it's very similar in the fact that you, you go into the bottom level, and the animals in the storage and all the, the root cellar would be down here, and then you would access the second living area on the top floor of the home via an outdoor stairway or a ladder. Okay, that could have been Joseph's situation, where his family was such that he could afford something. So many people think that Jesus was um, like a part of the peasantry. He actually probably wasn't. Because Joseph was a tradesman, he was, there's really no equivalent now. It's not upper middle class and middle class. It's like lower, like higher low class. There was uh, a lot of socioeconomic disparity um, in, in that, age, that time period. So, but this, was, this could be, and if we look at the other slide, the idea is that if you were living in this space, the same layout here, the animals might be there, and then the guest room or the multipurpose room or whatever room, or even the roof might be where you would let your guests stay, in a tent on the roof. Okay? Now, Joseph went to be in Bethlehem because his family was from there, Right? Now, many times what would happen over years and years and years, we might get what's called a generational home where the, uh, the son would build a, build a adjoining house to the main complex. So it might look like this. Like you'd be standing in the courtyard, the main house was here, and then you had another house here and another house here. So that may have been the situation that Joseph and Mary were brought into, and lived for some time in a very cramped quarters type of way. I mean, these people are living, literally sleeping next to each other at night in the same room. It's not like you have a guest room in your house like we have today. It's just different. Do you see where I'm coming from here? So over time, you'd have these multiple uh, houses built onto one another. And with the census, these places would have been filled with family members. Now, I don't know about you, but it's kind of weird to have a baby where I'm eating my dinner. And because these places were multi-purpose spaces, it would have been appropriate for Mary and Joseph to move to a more private space in the home. Now, interestingly enough, Joseph would have had nothing to do with this. We always get this, this um, Hollywood version of Mary and Joseph, and Joseph's delivering the baby. No way. That's not happening in the first century, okay? The matriarch and the ladies of the family would have gone with Mary and would have helped her through her delivery. Joseph would not have been there until after he hears the baby cry. They would have gotten Mary all squared away, and then he would have gone in and he would have named the child. Okay, just a little context. Interestingly enough, in Bethlehem, um, it is, it's in the vicinity uh, of, of a lot of caves. And most of these houses were built into the natural topography of the land. They didn't have like uh, excavators that they could excavate out, all that stuff. They would just build it in. And a lot of uh, uh, archaeological studies have been done that most of these 
lower class houses were actually literally built in to these cave dwellings where they would keep their animals. So instead of being up and down, it would be front and back. The living area would be in the front and the, and the animals would stay in the back. So that may have been kind of how Mary and Joseph existed during that time. So the idea that the shepherds came and uh, angels came to them still holds true. It's not so much how Jesus came, although it shows a level of humility, right? But anything would be trading down from glory. It's not so much that he came in the way he came. It's that he came at all. Even if he was, even if he was born in Herod's palace, it would have been a trade down. Now, the title of this message is Trading Up. Trading Up. Okay? So we have to understand the context. Jesus came. The historical rendering of the biblical account is quite different from the narrative many of us grow up with. But it doesn't diminish the humility of Christ's birth. Jesus was still born in a place where animals were kept. In a simple stable cave in Bethlehem, it remains a beautiful scene that changed the world forever. The point is not that he came to earth. Uh, the point is that he came to earth in a stable with animals around him. That's, that's part of it. But more importantly, that he came at all. That he condescended. It's called the condescension of Christ. That he condescended to come. He didn't come in a way that humans expected him. He came in a complete and utter humility. He was conceived into the world that he conceived. Think about that for a second. He was conceived into the world that he conceived. Remember we talked last week? The Word spoke everything into existence. The Word was Jesus. He came into the world that he created. He came to his own, yet, his, yet we, we, his own, we did not get what we expected. Let me read a passage to you here. Actually, we'll read in a second. We never expected for the God of creation to trade down so that we could trade up. Looking for some cash to finance the musical, My Lady Friend, American theatrical agent, producer and director, and owner of the Boston Red Sox, sold one of baseball's top players to the Yankees for 100000 plus a 300000 loan in 1920. Ever heard of the curse of the Bambino? Babe Ruth hit 665 of his 714 career home runs for the Yankees, including 54 in his first season in the Bronx. He led the Yankees to seven World Series appearances and four titles, and the greatest destiny in the history of professional sports was born. The Red Sox 
who won their fifth World Series behind Ruth in 1918, went on an 86-year dry spell that didn't end until they won the World Series in 2004. My lady friend, the play, ended up being a hit. But the good folks of Boston paid for it dearly. (laughs) I would say the Yankees got the better end of the deal. They traded up, whereas the Red Sox traded down. John 1, 9-13 says this, and this is our main text for the day. The true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Remember last week I said the darkness could not comprehend him? The darkness could not comprehend him. He came to his own. What does that even mean? He came to his own. Literally, that's what it means. He owns everything. We are his own. Without him, we're not here. He came to the ones he created. He came to us. He came to the ones that he breathed life into. And the Bible says, his own did not receive him. He wasn't what we expected. He actually wasn't what we wanted. And I fear that today, that statement is still true. He's not what we want. Isaiah 53. Look in your Bibles, Isaiah 53. I'll give you a couple seconds. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the Messiah. There's, there's really no way to get around it when you, <laughs> when you look at this. And it talks about things that would happen to the Messiah many, many years before it ever came to pass. And verse, uh, verse 1 of 53 says this, Who has believed what we have heard. Who's believed it? He came to his own. His own didn't receive him. Who does receive him? Here we go. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up. This is the talking about the Messiah. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root, like a root out of a dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him, He was despised and rejected by man. Sounds a lot like Luke, doesn't it? What did he say? He had to come to, he came to a stable in humility. And then John says, he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. He was despised and rejected. Amen. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like some people, uh, someone people turn away from uh, from them. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Hmm. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. But when he, uh, what we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. 
Punishment for our peace was on him. I want you to focus on that. Punishment for our peace was on him. Can you see how Jesus traded down so that we could trade up? The punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. So, whether he came in a palace or he came in a stable is not the point. Though it is a great story and it is a, it's a marker of the absolute humility of the Messiah. But the fact that he came at all and did what he did shows his immense love for you. He took on himself what you and I deserve. Some people have a hard time with God because they think he's judgmental. You know, he judges people. Listen to me very, very carefully. Jesus does not judge people. We stand condemned in our sins already. What does the Bible say? God loved the world so much that he gave his only son condescended to come for God so loved the world that he was only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life why God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world we already stand condemned that's our reality that's where we live that's where we are why did Jesus come he didn't come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved from the condition that they live in right here and right that's why he came. He took upon himself our punishment. The passage in Isaiah prophesied about Messiah being misunderstood and rejected by those he came to save. Considering it was written about 700 years before Jesus was crucified, Isaiah's description of Jesus' horrific death on the cross by being pierced and crushed is remarkably accurate. Isaiah also used the imagery of humans, uh, humans as sheep who have gone astray. And Jesus is the perfect lamb who died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that, he, uh, so that uh, in him we might become the righteousness of God. God traded down so you could trade. You know what he got? He got your sin and your punishment, and you got his righteousness. Wow. Can you, can, you, can you just think about that for a second? He took what we rightly deserved so that we could have what he had, righteousness before God. Jesus traded his identity as the perfect and sinless son of God with our identity as law-breaking criminals. Though the trade of the uh, Babe Ruth was one of the most lopsided trades in sports history, it doesn't even compare to the lopsided arrangement that God gave us in the person of Jesus. 
God so loved you. The light of the world shone upon sinful man so that we might become the righteousness of God. Whenever I uh, come across that passage of John 3, 6, I know it's, it's a passage that's used a lot, but I always, I like to, to circle one word in that, that verse. God so loved the world, right? I, I like to circle the word so. God so loved you that he did this. You get that? He so loved you that he condescended. He so loved you that he came and he lived among us. He so loved you that he lived his entire life under the shadow of the cross. He so loved you that he allowed, he allowed, he said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. He allowed human beings to nail him to a rugged, old, nasty cross that was probably used multiple times. The blood of other criminals splattered all over that thing for years on end. And he let these, these sinful people nail him to that. Pastor, this isn't Easter, this is Christmas. I'm telling you, that's the reason he came. Because he so loved you. He invites us to trade our sins and brokenness for his life and the righteousness of his own son. He paid all the costs and we receive all the benefits. That's how much he loves us. You can't even call it a trade, really. It must always and forever be seen as a total, unequivocal, and complete Let's finish John 1, 9-13. In verse 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, right? But to all who did receive him, that's me and that's you, that's anybody who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural, well, this is so important, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Pastor, are you one of those born-againers? Heck yeah. I am. I believe that when I was born into this world, I was born into a sinful nature. And then when I came to Christ, and it says, to all who received, and I received him, who believed on his name, I believe I was born into God's righteousness. Because of his condescension, because of his trading down, because of his sacrifice, because he gave up glory for 30 years, because he died on the cross for my sins, I have now traded up to the righteousness. I can be so called 
the Son of God. I don't even know if I can, I can, I'm trying to convey this truth to you today, and I feel like I'm failing miserably. You have been given the ability by the condescension of Christ to be the son of God, the daughter of God. That's trading up. Lord, I thank you that you came that you were made flesh, living as one of us under the shadow of the cross, so that we can receive you. You came to your own and your own didn't receive you, Lord. I pray that that would not be our, our, our story. I pray that we would today receive you in full thanksgiving. Lord, you came to a real world, not a fairy tale. You came to a world where animals lived among people, not like our sanitized culture. You lived at the time, you called it the fullness of time. When the peasantry was far greater than it is today. God, I pray right now that you would give us an understanding of how much you love us how you so love us today. And we can receive you by putting our faith and trust in you. And you give us the power, the privilege to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, help that to sink into us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just take a second.